I discovered this essay recently. It's called Letter to Ma by Merle Wu, and it's written by a Korean-American woman to her immigrant mother. Let me read you a snippet here. Because of your life, because of the physical security you have given me, my education, my full stomach, my clothed and starched back, my piano and dancing lessons, all those gifts you never received, I saw myself as having worth. Now I begin to love myself more, see our potential, and fight for just that kind of social change that will affirm me, my race, my sex, my heritage. And while I affirm myself, Ma, I affirm you. After I read this essay, I was captivated by the idea of inheritance, the things that parents pass on to kids from one generation to another. I have my mother's round nose and my dad's crooked teeth. You can see that on my face just by looking at me. But there are less obvious signs of inheritance. And that's the inheritance of struggle, of ambition, and of dreams. It's the very element that makes up our heritage. Actually, it wasn't until I sat down to write this script that I realized that inheritance and heritage have the same root, which is heres, the Latin word for heir. Cool, right? But what if part of what we inherit is the history of racial injustice? And what if the way you look, the physical traits you inherited or didn't, offered a different way to navigate that racially unjust world? This is Other, Mixed Race in America. I'm your host, Alex Laughlin. And today we have two stories about inheritance. Stories about what gets passed on and the long history of passing. It was spring of 1897, 40 years after the Dred Scott decision established that blacks, free or slave, were not citizens of the United States. 34 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, and one year after the Plessy v. Ferguson Supreme Court decision sanctioned segregation by relying on the doctrine of separate but equal. Anita Hemings was months away from graduating from Vassar College. Yeah, so Vassar was a very different school than it is today. Um, I think when you think Vassar now, you either think old girls club type school from when it was a single sex, and now it's a very liberal school with you know a very proud gay population. So when Anita went to school... It was very, very conservative. Karen Tanabe is an expert on Anita Hemings. She's also a Vassar alumna, and she wrote a historical novel based on Anita's life called The Gilded Years. Anita Hemings was really, like, take your breath away pretty. And this is at a time where there was not a lot a girl could do, shall I say, to improve her looks. I mean, like, the hairdos were rough. They didn't wear makeup, you know. She was just naturally gorgeous. And at the time, the girls all wore their hair parted in the middle and then put high in a bun, which sounds very ugly, and it was, but Anita Hemings could pull it off. A lot of her classmates, when she arrived, speculated that she was Spanish or Native American. She had very straight, dark hair. She was even voted class beauty. Anita was incredibly ambitious, which you can tell by reading her resume. She sang soprano in the choir, she was a member of the debate team, and she spoke Latin and Greek. I don't have to tell you this, but career options for women at the time were extremely limited. You could basically be a mother or a teacher. As a child growing up in Boston, Anita dreamed of becoming a teacher. And in her senior year at Northfield Seminary, she set her heart on the best women's college in the country, Vassar. 
So at the time, you had to take these rigorous entrance exams to get into to school. Nothing like the SATs, more like tons of subjects, Greek, Latin, math. I mean, I would have never, ever gotten into college, but Anita studied for a whole year to pass that test in Northfield. On the Vassar application, she wrote English and French because they asked your ethnicity, and she just left off a tiny detail. One tiny detail. The brilliant, beautiful, outgoing Anita Hemings was black. She didn't look it, though. Both of her parents descended from slaves and were of mixed ancestry, and they encouraged Anita to pass this white so she could go to Vassar. You know, Anita certainly fit in because she was smart and she was talented and she was curious, but she would have also encountered, you know, the N-word I saw many times in the school newspaper. While I think she probably loved a lot of things about the school, she certainly encountered racism from, from every corner. But Anita flourished. And her comfort at Vassar, her happiness at Vassar, were in many ways her downfall. If she had just kept to herself, maybe stayed in a single or something, had no friends, like, maybe her secret would have been safe. Her secret didn't stay safe. And the fallout nearly destroyed everything she had worked so hard to accomplish. At the beginning of her junior year, Anita moved into a double dorm room with Louise Taylor, a girl from South Orange, New Jersey. So I think perhaps to her, Anita was this like beautiful, talented, very intelligent girl that she was very excited to have as a friend. It was the fall of their senior year, and Louise came across this item in the Boston Daily Globe that mentioned the wedding of a prominent African-American couple, Bessie Baker and William Henry Lewis. Among the list of bridesmaids, Louise spotted one familiar name, Anita Hemings. Surely this wasn't her friend, Anita. Then again, Anita never spoke of her family, and she did have a bit of dark coloring to her. Louise grew suspicious over the following months. So suspicious that she had her father hire a private detective to go all the way from New Jersey to Roxbury in Boston to find the Hemings family and confirm that they were not white. At the time, some colleges allowed select African-American students to enroll, though of course Vassar wasn't one of them. Even then, only one or two students would be admitted, and they definitely wouldn't share rooms with white students. So, Louise was livid. Armed with proof that Anita was black, she petitioned Vassar's president to expel her. That didn't happen. The school decided that since Anita had made it so far, they would just let her graduate. As long as everyone kept their mouth shut, no one would need to know that a black girl tricked everyone at Vassar. Except that didn't happen either. After she graduated, she went up to Martha's Vineyard, where her mother ran a boarding house in what was then Cottage City, which is the predominantly African-American area of Martha's Vineyard. And she went to work there for the summer, as she did every summer before. And it was there that she found out that she was headline news. Every major newspaper in the country printed drawings replicating Anita's class photo. It was a scandal. No one could believe that an African-American girl had graduated from the Vassar College. They actually printed her address. They drew a picture of her house. So you have a picture of her house, you have a picture of her face, you have her address. It's pretty darn easy to stalk this girl. She sort of went into hiding after that. After the scandal faded, she found a job as a foreign language cataloger at the Boston Public Library. 
And it was there that she met Dr. Andrew Love, a light-skinned black man. They would marry, and as a couple, they would pass as white for the rest of their lives. Passing wasn't an uncommon practice for African Americans at the time. Remember, we're only a generation removed from the Civil War at this point. Looking quote-unquote white could be your ticket to a better life. Calvin Warren is an assistant professor in American studies at George Washington University. He told me that passing challenges the concrete idea that we have of race while also reinforcing societal importance of it. For example, if you can't tell someone is black by looking at them, what does that mean about race in general? Scientists have begun to disprove that, to reveal it or expose it as a myth, that these racial categories are really social constructions, meaning that the divisions that we think make clear our racial categories are very problematic. So, for example, you can have a black, two black people who look very dark skinned and they can have an extremely light skinned child that might look white. Well, what is the status of that child? Those kind of questions pose problems to the science of race. Transgressing these expectations by passing can feel confusing. You don't feel like you belong because you believe that there are these valid categories of racial purity. But the categories themselves are fiction. And fiction can be deadly too. Ghosts can terrorize. But that is just to say that part of living your life as authentically as you can is to remind yourself and others that these categories are not real. How do we talk about race without reaffirming the fallacious myths of race? But at the same time, the presence of this mixed race person throws all of that into crisis. So it's really about society and not about the mixed race person. It's really not about her. It's about all of us. Which brings us to our second story. It was the fall of 2015. It was the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. Plessy and Dred Scott were long dead and discredited. And Barack Obama was president. Sarah Heikinen was a senior at SUNY Oneonta. I had just declared the Africana and Latino Studies minor. So she enrolled in a race, class, gender, and culture course. About a month into the class, Sarah discovered the poem On Not Being by Mary Hope Whitehead Lee. She never wanted, no never won, did she want to be white to pass. Dreamed only of being darker. She wanted to be darker. Not yellow, not no high brown neither, but brown, warm brown. She dreamed her body moist earth brown. It's about being light-skinned and not feeling like you're black enough because of white people and because of black people, because of colorism just in the black community, just in general. And it like really affected me in a really emotional way because it like articulated thoughts that I didn't realize that I was having. She broke down crying in the middle of her class discussion. Sarah's biracial. Her mother's black and her father's white. Sarah grew up with her single mom in Neversink, New York. Her mother worked as a nurse for most of Sarah's life. 
She lists the characteristics she inherited from her mother. Um, I'm definitely stubborn, like she is. Um, <laughs> and I occasionally have a quick temper, <laughs> like she does. She's always told me, she always felt like she had to be better. So she always felt there was that pressure to just, to be better than the white nurses, because they could be just, like, adequate and they would be fine. But if she were adequate, like, just adequate, then that would reflect poorly on her as a black woman and as a black nurse. Do you feel like you inherited any of that? Like, the need to feel, like, to be better? I Yeah, I definitely have. I, I do, I put, just personally, like, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Her mother instilled a strong black identity in her and raised her on a steady diet of current events and stories from the civil rights movement. I've always been pretty politically aware because my mom always was. As a black woman, she faced discrimination her entire life from a very young age. And like she never minced her words, I guess. She never censored her own experiences with racism. But here's the thing. Sarah doesn't look black. I have blonde curly hair, uh, hazel green eyes, and I'm pale with a lot of freckles. Like, my whole body is covered in freckles. I'd always have to pull out a picture on my phone of my mom and I or something. I'd be like, yeah, that's my mom, because people like wouldn't believe me. Or they'd be like, oh, she has to be like really, really light, right? Or is your mom mixed? And I'd be like, no, she's not. I mean, she's light-skinned, but she's not mixed, like... Just because a black person is light doesn't mean that they are any less black than, like, a dark-skinned black person. She always had to prove that she was black. It was in fifth grade. It was, like, recess or something. And I was sitting in the gym with these two other kids who were also mixed, but who looked mixed, like they had darker skin than I did. And so we were all sitting together, and I think we were just, like, talking about who in our family was what, and... I remember, though, it was me, a girl, and a guy. And the guy said that he and the girl were Oreos because they were black on the outside and white on the inside. And then he said, Sarah, you're an uh uh-oh Oreo because you're white on the outside and black on the inside. And as a fifth grader, I was just like, okay, I don't really understand this. I I think I'm kind of upset about it. (laughs) I never thought that there were people like me you know, which I think was kind of naive in a way, but, you know, people don't talk about it. Reading those things really opened my mind to be like, oh, I'm not the only one. Sarah went home from class and wrote a response to the poem. She wrote about being called an uh uh-uh Oreo. She wrote about the demands that she produce a photo of her mother to prove her blackness. She wrote about feeling like she wasn't enough either. And she wrote about the guilt she felt having experienced privileges her relatives would never see. I, I like, fully acknowledge how weird it is that sometimes I wish that I couldn't pass, you know, that, like, I had darker skin, like my mom or my brother and my sister, because I, I feel disappointed and guilty, I guess, that I am constantly benefiting from the color of my skin. I think I've always felt guilty that... My sister was called the N-word in fifth grade, and that was never something that happened to me, which I'm lucky for, because that's a terrible thing 
to have happened to you, especially as a child. She'd never articulated these emotions. But the next week when she returned to class, she stood in front of the room and read her response aloud. I was nervous about the other people in the class who maybe didn't know, had never heard about passing or who wouldn't believe me. Like it was still like, I was still like filled with that fear of not being enough. And I like got the first couple sentences out and I looked over at my professor and I mouthed like, I can't do this. And he like whispered back to me like, yes, you can. When she finished, she was crying again. I think that was the moment where I finally let it like break through instead of just letting it like sit and get harder and harder and more and angrier. And her classmates didn't respond at all the way she thought they would. They piled her desk high with post-its and slips of paper with messages like, that was really brave and you are enough. Both Anita Hemmings and Sarah Hakenen passed as white. Both came out to their classmates as black during their senior years of college. Anita's identity as a black woman was made public against her will. After graduation, she returned to secrecy and lived the rest of her life as a white woman. She never got the career she'd been reaching for. Sarah's story ends differently, but she still carries her inherited racial anxiety. Every day, she affirms her identity as a black woman. It's not easy or perfect, but she doesn't hide. She's picking up where her mother left off, where Anita Hemmings left off. Thanks for listening to Other, Mixed Race in America. This podcast was written and produced by me, Alex Laughlin, with editing from Terrence Samuel. You can subscribe to Other, Mixed Race in America on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to Other, Mixed Race in America, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. And if you want to support great storytelling, please subscribe to The Washington Post. We're giving our listeners $100 off for a one-year all-access digital subscription. Just go to wapo.st slash other100. Again, that's wapo.st slash other100. Thank you to JJ Posway for writing our theme music and to Chris Kindred for designing our logo. Other Mixed Race in America is a podcast from The Washington Post. See all our podcasts at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts.